It is a pleasure to be here this morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for all of those people who are listening to me twice. Oh no, oh no, they seem to have gone. Um, but it's a real pleasure to share with you at Central Vineyard. It's great to be part of the church in the town. And it's, uh, it's all of us are part of the same thing, aren't we? We're all part of seeing the kingdom of God extended across this town and seeing this town brought to life because Jesus' life is touching it. And uh, I just want you to know we're on the same team. Do you believe that? All the church since time, we're on the same team and it's wonderful to be here to express something more of that partnership together. As I say, my name's Mark Norris, so we lead Community Church Northampton with my wife. Uh, we've got three boys, three teenage boys, one's off at university, and two were here this morning but couldn't bear to listen to me twice. So uh, we'll forgive them for that. As I was praying about what I wanted to speak about this morning, I was led to a story that I really love. It's a story where Jesus calms the storm. It's in Mark 4. And it's wonderful, to the uh, sister who gave the prophetic word this morning really confirms that God wants to speak to us, I trust, as we, as we look at this story together. I want to talk this morning about who is in your boat. Who is in your boat? And I trust that as we share together, that we will learn together a bit more about what it means to journey well with Jesus. And that we will get a fresh perspective on who Jesus is, who it is who's in our boat with us. And particularly for those who feel like life is a bit stormy at the moment, that we will be encouraged to keep going and keep looking to who God is. So let's read the the story that we're looking at today. It's in Mark 4, verses 35 to 41. These stories are so clever in the Gospels. I don't know if you've noticed that. They're short, uh, punchy stories, but with such detail that really draw you in. And I, w- I want to encourage you to um, see yourself as part of the story this morning as we journey through it. So let's read it together. That day, when evening came, he, sa- he that's Jesus, said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, them, behind they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. I think a squall is a storm, is it? I think, yeah. There must be some technical definition of a squall versus a storm, but I don't know it. I should have Googled it, shouldn't I? Uh, But a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Stern, anyone know boats? The back of the boat, I think, isn't it? Stern? Yeah, okay. Just checking. Uh, Sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. And asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. There's a certain uh, irony of covering this story today, if I'm honest. Uh, And the irony is for two reasons. The first reason is this. The first reason is because when we're on holiday over the summer, this this summer just gone, um, we had a flood in our house. A pipe burst and water 
covered the whole of the downstairs of the house. In fact, apparently the neighbour said the water was pouring out of the front door. Not a great thing to come back to when you've been on holiday. And so if I'm honest, stories about water and storms and things don't really, you know, a bit of a struggle at the moment. In fact, in my church, I've banned any song that's related to water. You know, uh, oceans, waves, uh, lighthouses, gone. I'm not having that. Uh, I don't want to be reminded of any water. So slight irony and looking at water today. Um, the second reason there's an ir- irony about um, talking about this story is because, if I'm honest, I don't, I'm not very good with boats. I don't know if there's any sailors or any uh, people who you know, like to go on boats here. I know you do. Um, <laughs> but I don't like do- boats. And it kind of stems back to a time when I was a student. And we decided it would be really fun to go deep sea fishing. Has anyone done deep sea fishing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have to say, it was one of the biggest mistakes of my life to go deep sea fishing. I was just grateful that I only went for the half day, four hour option and not the full day. Because me and my mates were not really kind of sea loving types, we just thought it'd be a laugh. And about half an hour out, the first of us started to feel a little bit nauseous. And what you realize is that it's called deep sea fishing because it goes out so far that you can no longer see any land. That to me now is a very bad thing. I like land. I want to stay on land. I don't want to be on the water. And so uh, being stuck on a boat with multiple young men being sick uh, for four hours really is not a a fun place to be. Um, So the idea of then looking at a story about being on a boat probably is a little ironic. Actually, what the guys who are leading this expedition would say is... To, to cope with the nausea, what they need to do is to lie on your back and look up um, at the top of the mast. And I still don't know, if I'm honest, maybe someone could tell me if that was just a joke that they play on the tourists, uh, just to see kind of ten young men lying on their backs on a boat, uh, lying in the, you know, whatever it is at the bottom of the boat. But there we are. So boats, not really for me, but actually for the disciples, it was for them, wasn't it? Many of them were fishermen. They were probably in one of their boats. And so when Jesus said to these disciples, let's go over to the other side, let's get in the boat and go, they, pretty comfortable. Okay, yeah, let's go, let's do this thing. No problem at all. What he called them to do was to leave the crowds. Jesus has had a busy day of ministry. There were people all around. And crowds are those people who come just to look. Come to be spectators. Come to just have a look what's going on and maybe get a miracle or two while they're there. But really no commitment to what is going on. And actually, do you know what? Jesus' plan, Jesus' hope was not based on the crowds. Jesus' plan was on and for his disciples. His plan for the world, isn't it? Is disciples, not just crowd. And so he says to his disciples, let's leave the crowds and let's go over to the other side. In the end, you know, Jesus calls us beyond being a crowd. You know that? He calls us beyond just being a consumer into being someone who follows him, who does what he says. And that is what these disciples did. It's amazing to me in this story how quickly things shift. It starts with Jesus because they're good disciples, saying, let's go over to the other side. But do you notice how quickly it changes? In verse uh, 36, it says, Leaving the crowd behind, they, took the, they, the disciples, took him 
along. It started with Jesus being in charge, didn't it? It started with Jesus saying, let's go to the other side. And the disciples went, oh yeah, we know about that. We can do that, Jesus. No problem. We can sort this one out. You just have a nice you know, rest in the back of the boat because we do boats. You want to get to the other side? We'll take you. So Jesus, you just lie down. Did you notice that Jesus got his head on a cushion? It's a nice touch, isn't it? Maybe the disciples kind of gave him that. Oh yeah, Jesus, you, you've had a busy day, Jesus. Poor little Jesus, you've probably been really tired. Why don't you just lie down the back? We'll give you a cushion. You can be really comfortable because we will take you where you want to go. Jesus said, let's go over to the side. And the disciples go, yeah, Jesus, we'll take you. Do you notice here that Jesus has moved from being the one in charge to being a passenger on the journey? The one who was there just taking along. Jesus now, the disciples now, stepping into being in charge. Do you know, it all happened so quickly. One minute Jesus is saying, let's go. And the disciples are then saying, they take over. We'll take you. Do you know, it seems to me that this can happen in our lives sometimes. Maybe we pray for a new job. Lord, would you give me a new job? I desperately need you to provide somewhere that I can, um, a job that I can really thrive in and serve you in and all that sort of thing. And then you find God provides you a job. And then once you're doing the job, Jesus becomes the passenger in what you're doing. He becomes the extra on the side. And you think, yeah, I can get on with this. And we don't take Jesus into that job. And it can happen as well, couldn't it, with our family or something we do in the church or us as a church. Sorry? Maybe it's God. I don't know. Is there anything I'm missing? <laughs> Let me know. Okay, no worries. <laughs> Jesus can become a passenger in our lives, which is kind of fine, isn't it, when everything's going swimmingly and we're just wandering around. You know, we're just wandering through life and it's going okay. But there is a problem, isn't there? The problem comes, the problem is evident when there's a storm. Who is Jesus then? Do you know, in the end, taking Jesus for a ride doesn't cut it. Jesus being a passenger in our lives isn't going to cut it. Because we've got to understand who is in our boat. And I want us to look at that. Who is in our boat? Because what happens when things get out of control? And this is what happens. A storm blows up. Or a squall, as it turns out. A squall. If anyone knows exactly what a squall is, as opposed to a storm, please do let me know. Uh, because, there we go, a squall blows up. And there is waves pouring in the side of the boat, and the disciples are bailing. They've got buckets, and they're taking the water, and they're throwing it, but the water's coming back in. They're getting water, they're going, come on, all our hands on deck, we've got to bail, we've got to bail. Okay, get out, get out. Where's Jesus? Jesus, the passenger, is sleeping. Jesus is sleeping in the midst of the storm. And what are they saying? They're going, this is no good. This is a serious storm. We, what's going on with this cable thing here? <laughs> There's life of its own. Um, they're going, Jesus, we need you to be bailing as well. We can't have you sleeping. It is an emergency. We need all hands on deck. What happens when things get out of control? Do you know, a couple of years ago, um, I was on holiday in Cornwall. Anyone else holiday in Cornwall? No one? Two? It's a nice place. I'd recommend it. Let's talk about Cornwall. It's got beaches. Uh, it's got the sea. 
You should think about it. It's a nice place. Um, holiday in Cornwall in the caravan. It was a fairly new, well, new to us caravan anyway, so we're excited to go there. And on the way back, um, we're exiting Cornwall with the rest of the world. And um, it turns out, as you may know, that there is really only one road out of Cornwall, and uh, everyone's on it at the same time. I'm, um, I'm following my satnav because I trust Google. Um, actually, Maddie calls it my Google wife. So I'm following my Google wife, and the Google wife is telling me there is a quicker route. Come on. Sorted. So I, it says, take, on the next junction, take uh, the, the junction out. So I take the junction out, me and my caravan and the family thinking, this is fantastic. I am now able to escape the traffic. I'm going out to the roundabout. I sharp left, take the first exit off the roundabout. I come down, and as I am committed and I can't turn around, I see a big sign. And the sign says, not suitable for caravans. Ah. My Google wife didn't know about that. What am I to do? Well, I figure probably this is just the locals getting a bit oversensitive to the tourists. I mean, if everyone went down this road, you know, yeah, sure, it would upset people. But it's only me, isn't it? It's just me. So we'll cope. And anyway, to be honest, I don't know if you know this, but turning around with a caravan is, is a little bit tricky. Um, so I think, well, probably, you know, if I find somewhere that I could turn around, then I'll, I'll do that. So I'm carrying down this road, and it's all going fine for a little while. But gradually, the road does get narrower. And it is, at this point, completely impossible to turn around. And as I drive along, I realize that I am not the only one traveling down this road, and that behind me, there are a number of cars building up behind. And there are at least 10 to 12 cars following me down this road. Me, the caravan, 10 to 12 cars behind beginning to not go so well. As I go down the road and I turn another corner, I carry on down these lanes that are getting narrow. And you know what it's like, don't you? Those big hedges on either side. There's nothing you can do. And my worst nightmare comes towards me as I drive down the road. My worst nightmare is this. Another 10 to 12 cars honing in on me. Oh, my word. There is one passing place, and I pull into it, but really don't allow any space on each side for anyone to pass. I've got 10 to 12 cars behind me, and I've got 10 to 12 cars in front of me, and now there is gridlock. There is nowhere to go, and if I'm honest, I start to panic. The thoughts that are going through my head really are only this. In about 50 years, well, basically, we're going to die. We're going to die here. There is no way out. And in about 50 years, when someone actually comes down this road, all they're going to find is a bunch of cars with skeletons <laughs> sitting in the seat with hands on the steering wheel, uh, because we, that, that's all that left. Because there is no way out. We are stuck. Um, and as you can imagine, the cars behind are getting rather frustrated with me, and the cars in front are getting even more frustrated with me. And I, well, I'm, I'm a little bit stressed. Fortunately, I don't just have a Google wife. I also have a real wife. And my real wife kicks into action. She jumps out of the car. She goes forward. She points at cars. You, move over there. You go here. You, go back. Go back. You go into that edge there. You go over here. And over a period of <coughs> about an hour, <laughs> Maddie reorganizes the traffic 
in, to enable me to gradually edge, scraping my nice new caravan down the side of the hedge on the one side. And on the other side, these cars that have been waiting there for about an hour or more <coughs> uh, coming the other side. And uh, if you think about this, the people who are in that car are not very far away. And as they pass, there's probably about 18 inches between me and this other person. I, as I'm edging my way forward, have got my eyes fixed well and truly in the front. The guys coming the other way do not have their eyes fixed on the front. If evil stairs could actually kill, I would have been dead at that moment as car after car, just like this, as I went past. I kept the window wound up and everything as I went on. And so for the next couple of miles, this is how it went. Maddie running in front of the car. Move over, move over, coming through. And me, with my eyes straight forward, heading towards. Finally, after about two hours, I I managed to find a place to stop. It was a kind of triangular island, you know, where you've got roads going every way. And I knew I could pull up on that bit in the island and that the other cars could all navigate around me with their horns blaring uh, for some reason as they passed. And I just collapse. Oh. But then I realize, what am I going to do now? Clearly, there's three ways out. Either I go backwards, just come from there, not a good option. Or I head off on the road on the left. That seems to be even narrower than the road I've just come from. And ahead, there is a road. But it's frankly no better than the one that I've just been on. I am stuck. One of these ladies, uh, one of these cars, this, this lady pulled up um, beside me and she wound down her window. After about five minutes, I wound down mine. And she said, did you not see the sign? <laughs> no caravans, not suitable for caravans. I'm going, at this point, I'm just collapsing. I'm a mess. I'm sorry, it's all my fault. I'm so sorry. I should, it's my Google wife. Okay, take me there. I'm so sorry for what I've done. And uh, after berating me for a little bit, she said, I'll tell you what. And I said, and that, well, I said, how am I going to get out? I'm stuck. How am I going to get out? And she said, follow me. And so for the next five or so miles, as it took me to get back to the main road where I'd sit back in traffic again, uh, she, oh, just ignore that bit, uh, she, she guided me through these lanes, making sure people stayed out of the way and took me into, back to safety, back to where I should have been. Do you know what? In the, in the New Testament, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as the helper, as the one who comes alongside. At that moment, I was out of control. And this woman, as you can imagine, was a gift. Can you see that? She was a gift to me. Do you know what? God does the same thing for us. Do you know, I don't know, sometimes we turn off track. Maybe we're not on the track that we think we should be on. But I want you to know this morning that the Holy Spirit comes along. God comes alongside and is able to lead us out. It takes us letting go of control and letting him back in control of our lives. I've said just now about the fact that um, our house is flooded and actually we've not lived in our house since that time in in August. Uh, We're living in a few different houses uh, while our house gets all dried out and fixed up and all that sort of thing. We're homeless. And I was sitting in and also uh, my car broke down the other week, I got in a car, and I'm sitting outside my office, and I'm sitting in a borrowed car. And I suddenly think about the fact that I'm living in a borrowed house. And actually, I've borrowed the money that I needed to live in that borrowed house. 
and I'm eating food that other people have cooked for me. I'm eating borrowed food out of the dishes that they've given me, out of borrowed dishes. And I realized all the fixed points of my life suddenly feel lost. I feel all at sea. I feel disconnected from the things where I've found security before. And I hear the challenge as I cry, bawling in the car, like a baby. But you know what? In the midst of storm, in the midst of things being out of control, there really is only one place to find security. There really is only one place to journey beyond that. And that is to wake Jesus up. To go to the one who is able to do something about it. Who's in your boat? Jesus is sleeping. Jesus, don't you care? The disciples said. Don't you care that we're going to drown? We was, I was in a, a group recently, and uh, we were meeting in a lady's house, a new Christian. And uh, she, we were talking at the start of the meeting about her life. And do you know what? It was a storm. There were arguments, there were upsets, neighbors arguing with each other, siblings not getting on, different relationships that were difficult. And we're reading this story and we were asking the question, what, what does this tell you about who Jesus is? And do you know what she said? She said as you read this story, she said, do you know what? I think that Jesus didn't calm the storm for, for, him, for him. He calmed the storm for them. She said, it seems to me that Jesus was quite comfortable in the storm. I thought, that's so profound. I never thought about it like that. That the biggest problem that Jesus had with the disciples was not that they were bailing, but they were afraid. And fear grips us, doesn't it? And it paralyzes us. And it stops us from acting. Because we forget who is in the boat with us. What was she saying, my friend? She said, she was saying, do you know what? My life is a storm. My life is a mess in so many ways. But Jesus is happy in the midst of it. Jesus is there. And the presence of Jesus is the thing that is most important and most powerful. You see, Jesus wasn't sleeping because he was tired. Poor little Jesus had a busy day of ministry. Jesus wasn't sleeping because he was tired. Jesus was sleeping because he was at peace. That he was at rest in the midst of the storm. Jesus wasn't sleeping because he didn't care. Jesus was sleeping because he didn't worry. Do you know what? So many times of our life, it's the worry and the fear, isn't it? That in the end is the thing that stops us. Jesus has peace in the midst of the storm. Do you feel like Jesus is asleep in your boat? The disciples decide to cry out to Jesus for help. 
They understood who he is, but, or they had not understood who he was, but they knew he needed to get bailing. So they shake him awake, and he says, quiet, be still. Sorry for being a bit loud. I woke anyone. Quiet, be still. And the disciples, who had been arguing and shouting about all the situations, suddenly went, zoop. And then they realized that it wasn't just them that were to be quiet and be still. But the waves were to be quiet. And the waters were to be quiet. And the squall was to be quiet. The storm was to settle down. That it wasn't just quiet and be still to them, but the whole of creation brings peace as Jesus spoke. Why did the wind and the waves be quiet when Jesus said, quiet, be still? Because they heard the voice of the one who made them. Because they heard the voice of the one who had called them into being. They heard the voice of the master. They heard the voice of the one from the beginning who said, let there be light. The voice of the one from the beginning that caused water to divide and land to come up. I like land. I've already mentioned that. They heard the voice from Noah's time that called water to come down from heaven. And they called, heard the voice of the one that commanded it to stop. They heard the voice of the one that commanded the, the uh, flood to dry up. They heard the voice of the one that when the Israelites were backed against the Red Sea with the Egyptians coming against them, the voice that parted the Red Sea and made a way where there was no way. Dry land for them to walk on. Quiet. Be still. Do you know what? This is the one who is in your boat. Do you know that? This is the one who is in your boat. Whatever, Whether at the moment you are in uh, a calm waters or whether you are in stormy waters, Jesus is in your boat. And do you know what? Jesus isn't worried. Jesus is not worried. And we can remind ourselves who he is, who is with us. In the same meeting I referred to earlier, let me just finish with this. There was a young lady there, and we're asking this question, what does this story tell you about Jesus? And she said, she said it seems to me that Jesus does things for people who don't believe in him. And I said, what? What do you, what do you mean? She said, well, you get to the, he says to the disciples, do you still have no faith? She said, even though they had no faith, he still calmed the storm and he was still in their boat. Do you know what Jesus was, what she had realized in that moment? She realized that even though she wasn't sure she believed in Jesus, maybe she didn't really know who Jesus was, but maybe still Jesus would do something for her. Do you know what Jesus comes us today? He's in your boat. And he is willing and able to do something for you. Is Jesus a passenger in your boat? Or is he the one who is leading you to the other side, where he's called you to be? Is he active and present in you? And are you calling on him to speak his words of life into your situation?